Welcome to the U-Turn Podcast. This is the place to connect to who you truly are. We're bringing PhDs, experts, and leaders to help you elevate your mindset in your work life and in your love life so that you can see things differently and truly love your world. I'm Ashley Stahl. I'm a career expert, author, and TEDx speechwriter and booker, and I'm excited to bring you in to this week's episode. Hello, U-Turn friends, and today might be one of my absolute favorite episodes on the entire U-Turn podcast. It's with one of my best friends, Jason Goldberg. Not only is he one of the most talented coaches I know when it comes to elevating your business, he does these VIP days, uh, but he also is one of the most fun people I've ever met in my whole life. And that says a lot because I like to think of myself as someone who has a lot of fun. He is just incredible. And he is here to talk about how you can have more fun while you're achieving things. And I'm so excited for you to be able to learn from his wisdom because we all know what it feels like to get stuck in the trap of overworking and not taking care of ourselves. So enjoy this episode with Jason all about how to have more fun while you're achieving, check him out at the Jason Goldberg on Instagram. Send him a little DM if you love this episode as much as I know you will. And I hope you enjoy. So I want to ask you, what does an award-winning entrepreneur, a TEDx speaker, a baconitarian, that's a vegetarian who still eats bacon, a funky sock lover, my spirit animal, aka, a former rapper who opened up for the Wu-Tang Clan, yes, this is true, and previously a 332-pound man who has since lost over 130 pounds despite his love for bacon have in common, and it's that they are all the same dude. And it is my friend Jason Goldberg, JG for short, J Money, just because I'm in the mood to call him that right now, is the king of playful sales, success, and self-leadership. He's a geek turned entrepreneur, international speaker, educator, creator of the eight-week life-changing, joy-creating, business-transforming, playful prosperity program, which we're going to talk about, and author of the number one international bestseller on self-leadership, Prison Break, Vanquish the Victim, Own Your Office, and lead your life. So after spending nearly 15 years in technology, followed by co-founding an award-winning executive transportation company, and then serving as CEO of a technology commercialization firm in partnership with NASA, JG decided there was something more he could be doing to make an impact in people's lives and businesses with his experience, his wit, and his ability to simplify complex topics. Uh, Jason brings his signature blend of personal development, comedy, and even rap music. What, what? to his work coaching and training leaders, coaches, speakers, thoughtful leaders, and other service-based entrepreneurs to help them painfully and powerfully identify and master their true genius, uncover and craft their core message, and uniquely and authentically position themselves in the market to explode their influence, impact, and income, and do it all without the seriousness, stress, or struggle. You are in for an incredible episode. We are going to be talking about how to have more fun while you're achieving. He has shared the stage with some of the world's greatest thought leaders and innovators in human potential and 
performance, including Dr. Sean Stevenson, uh, the three-foot giant, Don Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements, Vishen Lakani, Lakiani, CEO of Mind Valley, Stephen Kotler, Stealing Fire, Marissa Peer, the UK psychotherapist, the stars, and so many others that he hopes will impress if for some reason those don't. So you can connect with him at thejasongoldberg.com and at playfulprosperity.com. Let's get jamming. Welcome, Jason. Well, I think that was a whole podcast interview. We're done now, right? Yeah. So we can just go. Let's just, let's just call it a day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so freaking stoked to be here, Ashley. You are incredible. You know, you're one of my favorite people in the entire world. So this is going to be so much fun. You are so my little twin flame putting rap music <laughs> in your bio. Leave it to of you. Course. <laughs> of course. Talk to me. You are really good at what you do. I know it not just because you're my friend, because I've seen you in action. So I would love to learn a little bit, just in your opinion, on, you know, what was your journey in learning how to be high performing and high productivity without all the stress and anxiety that I per, per really experienced in my earlier 20s. Yeah, it's it's such a it's such a pervasive thing in, in our in our world and like there's nobody that I go up to and talk about this and they're like, "Oh, really? I've never been stressed or serious nor had any struggle with overwhelm or, you know, feeling like I couldn't handle everything." Like I've never met anybody who says that. They, they know what I'm talking about. And it's really kind of how I lived my life for nearly the first 30 years of it. I mean, I, you know, I, I was in technology from a very young age and, uh, you know, really got my first kind of quote job in technology at 13, being hired as a family friend to set up a network for a company and, uh, and then continued on that path. And, and, and really, you know, got to a place where in my, in my 20s, I was making well over six figures, director of engineering and operations for a tech firm based in Orlando. And, uh, and, and although I was kind of killing it or crushing it in, in professional terms, not only was that when I had gotten to my highest weight of 332 pounds, as you mentioned in my bio there, but also I just had so much stress and anxiety and overwhelm and and even honestly even suicidal thoughts i mean that you know that kind of started in my in my teen years you know just having so much uh, uh, so many issues around my physical weight and around, you know, being picked on and not feeling enough and all these things. And, and I thought that would go away, you know, once I got out of high school and, and was an adult in the world, but you know, no matter where you go, you're still there. And so if you don't work on the inner game of what's going on, you're just going to carry that stuff along. And so I just continued to carry that stuff along and I was super successful and, and high performance and highly productive in spite of the fact, or despite the fact that I was carrying around all this weight and, and it's, it was weight beyond my physical weight. It was, again, this, this mental weight, this emotional weight, this financial weight, always worrying about money or worrying about if I'm good enough. And just, you know, I don't know if you ever felt that way, but I have just like, yeah. I had just periods of years where it just felt like I had the weight of the world on my shoulders. And, and what I finally come to realize is that we are sold and told this lie that we have to be serious to be successful. It's happened my entire life in every aspect of my life. People would say, if you ever want to be in a serious relationship, you better do this. If you, you know, you better get serious about your health. If you were a serious entrepreneur, this is what you would be doing. And all of that just felt for me, very heavy, very uh, shame-based or blame-based, very obligation-based. It didn't feel light and creative and playful. And we have just been taught, or at least, you know, again, I'll own my experience. I had always been taught, you have to be serious. And so when I finally started to explore, and when I was introduced to this by, by my coach initially, you know, years ago, that maybe there's a way to be in flow, to be highly productive, to be high performing, and not immediately 
have to be serious, not immediately have to make everything so freaking significant that it's like life or death with every decision you make, then maybe I could actually be just as high performing or more so and not kill myself in the process. Yeah, I think there's so many of us who go through that realization when we start to reach where we suddenly realize all these things we thought that would be so wonderful for us doesn't feel so fun. And then we realize it's the way we're being with it that's no fun. And unless that changes, nothing's going to add up. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's what it is. And that's why, you know, when I, I tell people sometimes that I'm a relationship coach, uh, they, they say, I don't get it. I thought you coach entrepreneurs. And I said, no, I do. Because the only challenge we really have in life is the relationship we have to the things that are going on in our world. Yeah. Right. So, so if we shift our relationship to the things that are happening in our world and we shift our relation to how we view them, we shift our lens through which we see the world. That is a first simple and extremely massive step in experiencing our world differently. And so what do you think someone can do if they really are relating to you right now where they're like, wow, I have achieved so much, or maybe I haven't because I'm scared, but perhaps for the person who has really started to work hard, but they're not enjoying themselves and they're starting to realize that they're getting everything they say they want, but they're not having any fun. What would be a first step? What, what I think people, what I think would be great for people to get, and, and let me just back up for one second. I, in my work, I don't do right or wrong and I don't do good or bad. Um, I do uh, less effective versus more effective. Right. So if anybody's listening to this and they say, well, no, when people say you better get serious, it pumps me up and it has me feel excited and creative. And like, then do that. Like I, I, I'm not telling anybody they need to do something differently. My whole thing is, you know, I, I love this, this, uh, this phrase or this, this saying, uh, every system is perfect for the result it's getting. Right. So if you love the system and you love the result that you have right now, then don't don't do anything that I'm that I'm suggesting. But if you want a different result, whether that's an outcome result or it's the way you feel result, then be willing and open to try a different system. So so the way this works for me is that the first system to really play with is the system of the mind. And at any given time, in, in my world, at least, my mind is either an asset or it's an asshole. Right. And that's that's the, that's the long and short of it. At any given moment, the thoughts that are in my head are either serving me and, I, and I'm using them as opposed to being used by them um, or I, I'm using my mind as a liability. It's, it's being an asshole. And there's all these thoughts that pop in my head, 99 percent of which I didn't even create. They show up like, you know, like spam emails. You have no control over spam being sent to you. This stuff just shows up. And for whatever reason, I take those thoughts seriously. I, I attach to them when they want to just kind of flow in and flow out. I grab onto them like they're, you know, my little, my little buddy Dolly that I'm going to brush its hair and make it my best friend and take it everywhere for the, with me for the rest of my life. Instead of just slowing down and challenging the thoughts and saying, oh, you know what? In this moment, I'm feeling really stressed and really overwhelmed. And I'm thinking that I shouldn't have so much work in my plate. And I, and that person in the meeting shouldn't have shut down my idea. And my spouse shouldn't have raised her voice at me this morning. And my kid shouldn't have got suspended for bringing a nudie magazine to school. Like all of those shoulds and shouldn'ts that I'm holding on to, all those expectations of the way the world works, that's the only thing that's causing me seriousness and stress and struggle. So if I look at those thoughts as they come up in my head and I notice them and I say, oh, I call this having a Britney Spears moment. I see this thing in my head and I go, oops, I did it again. Like there's the thought that popped in my head that I took seriously. And it's the only reason I'm not having a tremendous amount of fun in life right now. You know, the other day I was noticing, usually it starts for me in my body where I feel tension. And then I realize, oh, I must be in some sort of negative thought pattern. And then I realize, God, why do I feel so bad? And then I start to check in. Well, what am I thinking about? Oh God. And then I kind of look at it and I think, oh, well, that just means I'm in my head again. Better get out of there. And here's the thing too. And you, you nailed that. I love that you said that because 
traditional, you know, self-help or, or whatever would tell you that you have these thoughts in your head that you're afraid of putting yourself out there or you're upset that things didn't work the way it worked. It, you know, it did, it worked out. It didn't work out the way you wanted it to and your preferences are not being met and all these things are going on in your head. And the advice is here's what you have to do to push through that and to overcome that and to bust through your resistance. And that all again sounds very serious to me. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, if we see the thoughts in our head, like, like a pen, right? Like literally like an actual writing utensil, a pen, and you were, and you had a pen in your hand, you would never ask yourself, how do I overcome this pen? How do I, how do I break through my resistance around this pen? You would say, Oh, look, that's a pen. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and, and that's it. Like there's nothing else. And once you realize that this is why it's so important. Once you realize that your thoughts are not instructions, your thoughts are not universal truths. Your thoughts are not meant to punish you any more than a, a crying baby is trying to punish its parents when it's it's crying. As soon as you notice these things are not about you at all, they're totally insignificant in the grand scheme of things, then you look at them and you're like, oh, well, there's nothing to get over. Like yeah. it's going to go away on its own if I just get back to, to doing whatever it is I do in the world. A hundred percent. And isn't it amazing that a lot of the times we let our bodies feel constricted, we let our thoughts go through and we don't even pay attention. So it's like these thoughts are just going and going. How do you suggest people use, like for me, my inner alarm clock is when my body feels stressed. Like I feel anxiety in my chest or I feel tightness. How do you figure out when you're in a negative thought when it's so, you know, it's so in you? It is. It's, and, and I love that you said that because the body really is such a great place to, to start tuning into. And I'm not somebody who like I don't do a lot of work around the body. And so this is not like you have to be this super in tuned, you know, <laughs> spiritual being that you feel when your third chakra is out of a lot. Like it's not, if, if anybody listening to this does not own a pair of Lululemon pants, you can still do everything we're saying right now. Right? So I, I, I want you to know that first and foremost. So, so to answer your question though, this is one of my things. Like I do feel, I know in my body, I feel it uh, as tension in my shoulders right? Like I know like my shoulders are kind of up near my ears and things like that. And I will ask myself this question and I've done this. This is part of how I've overcome my fear of flying. This is how I overcome kind of daily feelings of overwhelm or stress is that as soon as I notice that I will ask myself this question. And and as you know, you know, the power of just asking yourself a question, even if you don't know the answer to the question can sometimes free you up entirely. But I'll ask myself this question, like, what if I got stupid relaxed right now? Like, what if I just got ridiculously relaxed? Like, what if all of the energy poured out of my body and into my chair in this moment? And I I asked myself that question and immediately my shoulders drop and my breathing kind of deepens and slows and I feel myself really sink into my chair. And what all of that does for me, yes, I feel it in my body, but the side effect, the beautiful side effect of that is that my mind starts slowing down. And, and the, the analogy I use, and I actually have several of these in my house, and I, I send them to clients as a reminder sometimes as well, is that of a snow globe. And to me, when we're overly stressed or anxious or feel overwhelmed, it's like a snow globe. You take a snow globe and you shake it up, and you see all the white snow flowing, you know, flying everywhere. And if you were standing in the middle of that snow globe, it would feel ridiculously chaotic. It would feel like you you can't even see your hand in front of your face, and this is never going to be fixed. And the only way that I can fix it is to grab every single piece of snow that's flying all around me and putting it back on the ground, right? I take full responsibility for every single person and place and thought and belief and everything around me. I think it's my responsibility to make it settle. But if you look at an actual snow globe that's going crazy and whirling like nuts and there's just white snow flying over the place and you can't see anything, 
what do you actually have to do in order for the snow to settle in a snow globe? You just get quiet. Yeah, you wait. You wait a couple minutes, you put the snow globe down, and miraculously, without you doing anything, the snow will settle back down. Yeah. Wow. That just zen me out right there. Yeah. And our mind works the same way. It's like, we don't, you know, I'm all about personal responsibility. Prison break. My book, prison break is all about the power of radical personal responsibility, but personal responsibility for the things that you actually should be taking personal responsibility for all of our thoughts in our head. We don't need to control our thinking. Mm -hmm. We need to notice our thinking. We need to be gentle with our thinking. We need to allow our thinking to do what it does and not get in its way and it will settle and we'll get back to being clear and calm and conscious within minutes. And a clear, calm, conscious mind knows exactly what to do next, who to call, what next step to take, uh, what conversation to have. When we are clear, there is nothing that we cannot do. Mm, amazing. And you know, the other day I was writing my book about some, some of this and I was speaking to a group of, you know, a hundred women and this girl raised her hand. She said, how did you get there though? And I love these little steps, but is there a grander answer of how you really get there? Because my answer, I kind of looked at her and it was quite, kind of like a heart monitor in my head. I was like, beep, 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 beep. And I was like, what do I say? And I just realized I got here because I cried a lot. You know, I just cried a lot. I cried. I felt everything. And instead of allowing all of these beliefs to just float around and settle my snow globe, I, which is a really an amazing step, by the way, uh, and visual, I just felt so much of the pain that was circulating in my system all the time. And it sounds really grand and I'm not really, you know, I'm still working on exactly how to relay the message, but I think when, a, you know, one kind of grander approach be to help people realize that if they feel pain, if they push it down, it's not going, you know, it's going to keep circulating. So what, what can you, what feedback can you give people for that kind of situation? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that one of the things that is, uh, has also kind of run a little bit rampant in personal growth is, is this whole notion of spiritual bypass, mm -hmm. right? And that when you're not allowed to feel anything and, uh, and, and you have to immediately find the silver lining and, you know, that person didn't cut me off in traffic. They liberated me from my speed. Like, you know, all of this like crap, it's, it's like, you know, it's, it's great. Like the, like the reframing is awesome and it can sometimes be a mask for really seeing the truth. So, so to your point about really feeling your emotions, like I, I always say that when it comes to emotions, numb one, numb all. Right. You can't numb the sadness and then think you're going to feel this amazing joy and enthusiasm in life. It, it's one pipe that all the emotions go in and out of. And so if you try to numb one, you're going to numb them all. So I love the fact that you really allowed yourself to feel. Mm. And I think what I did and, and you know this about me, it's you know a very personal part of my life. But I, I went through a breakup, you know, uh, and at the end of 2017 oh, and it was a big one. It was after, you know, 12 years of being of being with uh, one woman this entire time. And it was extremely painful and it felt devastating. And there was a there was a ton of tears and not just tears, like snot tears, like just snot coming out of uh, snot. Where, <laughs> snot supposed not supposed to come out of. It's like who knew snot comes out of an eyebrow and it was just snot everywhere. And and what what I started practicing doing that allowed me to feel what I was feeling and also remember the truth of where that experience was coming from because my tears were actually not coming from the breakup. My tears were not coming from uh, the fact that I wasn't going to be with this person anymore. That's what it looks like on the outside. And this is the way we, most of us live. We live in this out, outside in world where, where our circumstances are what dictate how we feel. And, and the truth is that we really live in an inside out world is that the way we 
the, the, again, the lens through which we see the world, the truth, the honesty that we find in what's going on is what will dictate how we feel about what's going on, is that I would sit there, and this sounds probably weird and like almost bipolar, I would sit there and I would cry and I would let myself be sad and cry. And at the same time, I would either in my head or out loud, talk to myself and remind myself why I was actually feeling what I was feeling. Right. Because if I just do the crying alone, then it gets me back into this prisoner mode of saying, I'm so sad because she broke up with me. I'm so sad because we're not together anymore. No, I'm sad because I had an expectation that we would be together forever. And that expectation is not the way life played out. Mm. And so the only reason I'm sad is because what I thought should happen, the almighty me who seems to think he knows better than the universe and everybody else around me, it didn't happen the way I wanted. And that's the only way I'm sad. Because if somebody had told me the first day that we got together, hey, listen, you guys are going to have a 12-year relationship. It's going to be amazing. And at the end of the 12 years, we're going to ask you to part ways. We're going to give both of you $10 million and cancer is going to be cured and there's going to be world hunger is cured and everything's going to be wonderful. That at the 12-year mark, we would high five each other and go our separate ways because that was the expectation we had from the beginning. So the only reason in any situation, whether it's career or health or relationships or anything else that we feel any disappointment or sadness is because what happened is not what we thought should happen. Mm. So, the, so the sooner we can see the truth that we can't possibly know what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. And that if this, if this thing happens, then, then, then we, we set the intention that it's always this or something better that's Mm. going to happen in our lives. If we really get into that place on the littlest things, right? On the littlest things on a day-by-day basis, moment-by-moment basis, then it becomes so much easier to make this a more uh, natural default part of our life. I love what you're saying. It's it's all managing expectations. And how do we start to do that? Because it's so embedded in our consciousness to just go straight into projecting a vision of what we think things should be. How do you take the first step in accepting situations in your life without projecting an expectation onto them? I love that. And I think it comes from, I think it comes from a place of creativity. And I think it comes from a place of where you come from when you have that expectation or that intention. So what I mean by that is how cool is it to uh, visualize or map out or, or create something that says, this is how I would love for this thing to turn out. Ideally, I would love for this thing to turn out a, a certain way. And then once you have that vision that you really, really love, instead of attaching to it from a sense of, of fear or, or neediness or scarcity, we hold that lightly, mm-hmm. right? Like, and, and, and when I, and when I say hold that lightly, like I imagine, and I'm, I'm closing my eyes so I can picture this too, because I, I love this visual. I think of like NASCAR racing and I'm not a NASCAR fan at all, but I, I just think this is a great analogy. It came to me one day for some stupid reason, probably because I'm in Florida. Um, and so, so if you think about NASCAR drivers, they're going you know, 200 miles an hour around this crazy steep track and doing it for hours at a time and have to stay super focused and super uh, um, uh, dedicated and committed to the matter at hand, which is winning the race. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if they were to grasp their steering wheel, white knuckle, like squeezing that steering wheel as hard as they could for two hours, there's no way they could stay focused. Mm -hmm. The blood would all be rushed out of their hands. They would lose feeling in their hands. They wouldn't have as much control over the car. They would make silly and stupid mistakes and they probably crash. And that's why if you actually study the the grip that they teach NASCAR drivers to have, it's actually a light grip. Hmm. It's, it's, it's a focused grip. It's a committed grip. It's a devoted grip. It's not one hand on the wheel, one taking selfies. I mean, they're, they're, they're in, they're grounded, they're there, but they don't put, they don't put too much physical pressure or physical exertion into holding onto the thing that they have some sort of control over. 
So the reason I say that is because set your intention, set your visualization, set your roadmap, set what you would love ideally to have happen in your world, and then hold it very lightly. Because the more lightly you hold it, the more you can make course corrections, the more you can be creative, the more you can be innovative, the more you can reach out for support when you need it, and the more you can be flexible to see as things come into your world, instead of saying, oh my God, how do I deal with this? You ask yourself, oh my God, how can I play with this? Yeah, wonderful. And then don't you find, Jason, when you really start doing this work you're talking about, you really start checking in with your inner snow globe, when you really start questioning your body and wondering what thoughts are bringing this up, when you really start doing this work, suddenly your your lag time between some sort of allegedly negative event happening and your acceptance, it's like a smaller frame of time where suddenly you're just like, oh, that happened, moving on. Well, what you said, though, that I think is, is so, so powerful, and, and I'm so glad you brought this up because one of the questions I get from people a lot uh, after they read my book or after they see me you know, speak or do some kind of a training thing is they'll come up and ask me, they say, I love this, like the whole self-leadership thing. And I get the whole shift from being a prisoner of circumstance to being a self-leader. So great. I get that. I love it. How do I do that 100% of the time? Mm-hmm. And I say – Oh my God, if you figure it out, please let me know. Mm-hmm. I have no friggin' clue. Like mm-hmm. I am uniquely qualified to teach about living a not so serious life and being more playful because I have tons of serious moments where I'm not being playful enough. Yeah. And I'm the perfect person to teach about self-leadership and not being a prisoner because I have plenty of prisoner moments that I have to do this work on. Yeah. So the reason I say that is because what you said uh, really embodies and exemplifies this 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 belief that I have that all or nothing thinking is just a, a a one way trip to total prisonerville where you just give up before you really even start. And so when you talked about having that smaller window of time between the time that you're triggered and something kind of puts you into prisoner mode to the time where you say, oh. I'm actually creating some part of this. I'm actually playing an active role in feeling the way I'm feeling right now, that if there is a problem, my thinking is the problem. And what a gift that is, because if my thinking is the problem, then my thinking is also the solution. Once we see that transformation happens when that window shrinks, that it's not that you become this like, you know, some weird guru or some robot who never experiences anything negative or heavy, but instead you realize that this is all about noticing when it happens and shortening the window of time for when you get back on track. What else could you possibly want in in a tool set or a skill set or a way of living in the world to be able to have anything come at you? And instead of being used by it, you can at some point within a few minutes or a few seconds or a few hours or a few days or whatever it is, start to find the way that you can play with that. So I love that you said that. And I totally agree. Shortening the window of time is the way I measure my own transformation because I'm not, I don't have these like big epiphanies every day where my mind is blown, but I do have the time where I thought a client was going to sign up for me. And, you know, he said yes, and he was going to send the check over. And then the next day he calls me and says, oh, you know what? Actually, I can't do it right now. And having that be a five or 10 minute window of disappointment that they didn't sign up and getting right back into cool, given the conditions of the game that I'm living in right now, what would I love to create? That to me is transformation in my life. Amazing. Wasn't it you that I saw that within that week that I I had my car moved into a new place, backed out of my garage and my side view mirror just popped off. And it was just like a couple hours before. Yeah. And I remember, yeah, I was on the way to see you. I swear I was, we were going to get, catch a movie or something and backing out of my garage, my mirror fell off my car because I just clipped it on the side of my garage. And I remember thinking, oh, dang it. There it goes. And then I just watched the mirror of my car just kind of fall down. And I just kind of 
remember thinking, wow, so many people would let this have create a really bummer of a night for them. And instead, I just kind of watched my side view mirror fall onto the ground of my garage, backed out, and was like, off to the movies, deal with this later, but it's not really a big deal. And so that's what I wish for for everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, and there's something, there's a very small, a little nuanced thing that I want to share about that though, that I, that I really get about you in that situation. And that, I, and that I believe is the way you show up in the world in general is that it's, it's a very, very fine line between, um, uh, creative acceptance and apathy. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, so that, that so wasn't you being apathetic, that. like, Oh yeah. Okay. It broke. Well, yeah. okay. Shit happens. This was like, okay, yeah, it broke and I'll handle it because everything gets handled and there's never been anything in my life that I haven't been able to handle. And I have proof of that because I'm standing here looking at my mirror. Yes. And it's perspective, isn't it? It's like, Oh, it's yeah. just a car side view mirror. It's not my health. It's not my something wrong with my mom. It's, it's just like feeling into the peace that's available when situations don't have to throw you off kilter. I mean, it is probably one of the most rampant things I see is people giving their happiness or their fun or their day up in exchange for a broken side view mirror or, mm. you know, and you know, the same day that happened, my phone charger got stuck in my iPhone. So I ended up going to the Apple store. I mean, it was like a total technology breakdown day. And I just kind of walked myself to the Apple store. You know, it's like, you don't need to go. And what, what happens when these days happen? We go into a story in our mind. Oh, well, and we go into that domino effect. Well, now my, my phone is broken. My car side view mirror, it's going to cost me all this da da da. That is where people want to catch themselves, right? Is go from going into the event, into the story about the event. Um, Oh, you're the best. Okay. Well, I want to ask you, you know, you have had some of the best coaches coach you and you are one of the best coaches out there. So tell me, I know one of your, you know, your coach, um, he is big on distinctions and I'm sure he's used many with you. So I thought, you know, those are one of the most amazing ways to teach people. What are one or two distinctions that you've learned in your working relationship with him or just in general that you feel have been really, really transformative for your mindset? Turners, so sorry for the quick interruption, but I want to make sure you know that this episode has been brought to you by the Job Offer Academy, our e-course to help you land a new job you love. So if you're sick of applying for jobs and never hearing back, and you'd like to try a free version of our job hunting course, just head on over to U-turnpodcast.com slash job offer. That's Y-O-U-T-U-R-N podcast.com slash job offer. Now let's get back to this week's episode. Yeah, I mean, one of them, the, the number one that comes up is is it's it's around business, but actually it really isn't. It's really around it's around people, it's around creativity, it's around putting yourself out there, and, and it's around business as well. Is the distinction I learned from my coach, Steve Chandler. He's been my coach now for four years, and I will coach with him until the day one of us dies. He's 72, but I feel like he's gonna live to 150, so he may outlive me. Uh, <laughs> but but one of the most amazing things that I got from him was this distinction of ego versus service. And ego versus service has has changed the way I relate to people personally, the way I relate to people professionally, the way I create, uh, you know, courses or or my book or or anything else that I do. Because the only time and some people might not that, know what a distinction is, by the way. So maybe just oh, showing that. Yeah. Kind of- 
For sure. That's great. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. So, yeah. so a distinction is, uh, for people like me who are kind of simpletons, uh, distinctions are a much easier way to learn things because a lot of the time when we learn things or we learn concepts, they come with a, a 27 point checklist that we have to laminate and put in our wallet or our purses or our backpacks and have to refer to it every time that we want to actually use it in our lives, which kind of is, is cumbersome. Um, a distinction is this versus that. Right. It's, it's very simple to, you know, when you go outside uh, in the evening and it's dark outside, you don't need a, a 14 step process to understand why it's dark. You go, oh, there's a distinction of day versus night. We're in night right now and that's why it's dark. Right. So if we can have really simple ways to compare this to that, then in any given moment, we can ask ourselves which side of this pendulum, which side of this distinction are we living from in this moment? Mm -hmm. Is that is that a fair, a fair? Uh, yeah, definition? it's like a context, right? Like what energy do cool. you want to be in ego or service? Go ahead. Yeah, perfect. Exactly. Exactly. So for me, this whole distinction of coming from ego or from service, when I come from ego, I am trying to look good. Uh, I'm trying to sound good. I'm trying to manage your perception of me. I'm trying to uh, to mold and modify and manipulate the way the world works. And for me, where that show has shown up the most, and, and, and I'll tell you, it's still it's still my work. I'm, I'm not going to say it's done. I don't think anything, any work that I'm doing will ever be done. It's still a moment by moment process. But for me, it's when I'm creating something new, like a course or a training or something like that, where I really get in my head about it. And, and I can lie to myself and be like, no, but it's because I really care about their outcome. And I really want them to have transformation, which is absolutely true. But if I were coming from service, really caring about their transformation, I wouldn't have this thing in my head saying, oh, but is the content good enough? Oh, am I explaining it well enough? Oh, is it, is it, is it thorough enough? Oh, are they going to like it? That energy does not have me feel creative. That gets me back into seriousness, stress, and struggle. So anytime I – and I, I've done this before. Like when I created my signature course, Playful Prosperity, which you mentioned earlier, I actually had a huge piece of flip chart paper on the wall behind the camera that said ego versus service and had a big, huge circle around the word service and an arrow to it. And it said stay here right? Stay in service. And so when I'm in a place of service, I don't care if I please you. I don't care if I look good. All I care about is contributing everything that I know, everything that I believe in, everything that I think could be beneficial for someone else and, and, and sharing that in whatever way it shows up in the moment. Mm. And when I do that, I just reclaim all this leaked energy that I was using, wasting, trying to show up a certain way. So people would think a certain thing about me. Oh gosh. I love that. And you know, I also get really thinking when you talk about this, about presence, you know, because a lot of the times true service is about presence, being able to be present. And I, I hate talking about presence because it feels so trite, but you know, just like I was talking to you about before we hopped on this, Jason, it's like, I'm writing my book and I had to hire a babysitter, AKA another writer to sit with me and make sure I'm actually writing because I'm just going to go ADD and what, what I'm really paying for with her time is her presence so that mm -hmm. I can channel my service. And I think that the best times I've ever been of service is coming through presence, just being absolutely present because when you're so present, you don't even have time or energy to think about your ego. You're too present to what's happening right in front of you. Um, yeah. So I'd love to hear, like, how do you get into service? Is it like, how do you get present or how do you do your best? Yeah. And, and that actually is, I mean, funny enough, you know, I, I get what you're saying too, where present sounds trite and, and it's because it is so, you know, so heavily used that word, but it's, that's kind of the cure for everything, right? Because the only reason ego shows up is because I'm living in the future, mm -hmm. right? Because they're, they, when I'm sitting here creating the course, I can't 
nobody can tell me whether it's helpful or not. There's, there's no, I'm not getting any feedback. I'm mm -hmm. still in creation mode. Mm -hmm. So if I'm worried about what they're going to think, that means I'm in the future. Yeah. Right. So, so presence is so important for overcoming kind of anything because all of our fears only live in the future. Right. There's, there's zero fear in the present moment. I remember one time asking my coach about that. I said, yeah, but what if, what if I, I come out from around a corner and a, and a grizzly bear is there in front of me? You're saying there's no fear in the present moment. I said, well, no, the fear is that the grizzly bear is going to maul you to death in a few seconds. Right. So it's, it's uh -huh. still, there's, there's no, and if he mauls you to death, then you're dead and there's no fear left. Anyway, anyway. So, so there, there literally has yet to be a time where there's really fear in the present moment. It's always future focused. And so I actually love what you said there, but the, the way that I get into service and it changes depending on what it is I'm doing. A lot of times, especially in a business setting, right? So if I'm about to do a talk on stage or I'm, I'm creating a course or doing whatever is I really visualize the people that are meant to be served by this. And, and this was something that I learned from another mentor of mine, Sean Stevenson, as it pertains to speaking is that something he'll do a lot. And, and I do this all the time now is before he goes on stage and before I go on stage, I will, uh, I will pretend I will create personas or avatars around people in the audience that need to hear what I'm saying. Yeah. So for example, I'm about to go on stage. And so I, I am in the backstage there and I close my eyes and I say, you know what? In the second row is Larry. And Larry just broke up with his girlfriend of five years and doesn't know what he's going to do next. And sitting three rows behind Larry is Sally. And Sally just took a blood test and she's really, really concerned about the results and she's not going to know for two weeks. And, I, and I'll kind of make up these little personas and avatars for a few people in the audience and then end it with, and they just want to be free from concern for an hour. They just want to feel a little bit inspired for an hour. They just want to have their mind taken off all the stresses in their world for an hour. And, and when I do that, it's like, how can I not, how can I be thinking about myself when I know those people in the audience and they're waiting for me to serve them? They want me to win and they want to be served. Doing things like that immediately pull me out of my ego. And you know, this also makes me think a lot about how sometimes we forget what we're afraid of and then it comes back and reminds us. Like for example, mm -hmm. have you ever, well, you have gone through, you know, heartbreaking, heart-wrenching breakup and you, it's that weird moment. And I'm sure so many people have had it where you wake up in the morning and you feel pretty good. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, shit, I'm not supposed to feel good. Why don't I feel good? Oh yeah. Cause I broke up with my person. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't feel good. Isn't it weird how like we have these liberated moments where we realize, oh, this is available. And then we choose to be like, wait, something's wrong. I've done this plenty of times. Something's wrong. I shouldn't be feeling this good. Something how, oh yeah. So-and-so dumped me or, oh yeah, <laughs> I lost my job. Yeah. Today actually sucks. You know, it's like, yeah. but why don't we just kind of ride the wave? It's like, whoa, I feel good. Let's not, you know, why, why shouldn't I? And you kind of look at your circumstance. It's like, how can we start to get into a place in that moment where we choose to keep being happy? Is there any suggestion you have for that? Yeah, I, I, and that's so funny. I've, I've totally done that before around so many things. Um, but I think it's I think there's a misconception, and maybe this is another distinction around being um, on guard versus being aware, right? Or being on guard versus being conscious. And I think that we are taught, and this is probably, you know, limbic brain, uh, you know, ancestry still running our conditioning is that we have to always be looking out for the other shoe to drop, that we have to always be looking out th yeah. that we're going to be attacked or something's going to catch us off guard. And so the, the, the times where we forget to remember uh, about all these, you know, quote, stressful things that are going on, that the times that we're actually in a place of peace is the time that we stop trying to be on guard, 
right? And it's and, and we're still conscious. We're not, you know, we're not uh, uh, we're not medicated floating through the world, and that's why we're not thinking about it. We're just very conscious and, like you said, very present. And and that stuff doesn't affect us in the present. Yeah. And so I think it's I think that's a really interesting thing to practice noticing when you feel like you're on guard and ask yourself, is there ever a time in my life, honestly, like anybody, for the most part, I would guess 99.9 percent of the people that are listening to this podcast are never in a place where they're not safe. Yeah. Right. There's there's really nothing at risk. Like I know there's like the risk in your mind, like, oh, if I turn in this project and my boss doesn't like it, they may not give me a promotion. That's not real risk or fear. Like walking down an alley and seeing a guy picking his teeth with a machete, that's fear. Like that's, that's different than what we feel on a regular basis. So if we can get really honest about the fact that there's never a time where we're not safe, there's never a time where we're not surrounded by abundance. Again, as, as trite as that may sound, like there's never a time where things are not actually entirely working in our favor. If we really stopped and slow down and see, like literally, like we can both do this right now. If we seriously look, look and, and, and see all the things that are going on around us that are working perfectly to our preference, like the way the internet's working right now, the way my microphone and my headphones are working, the way that my, my cardiovascular system is working to allow me to, to speed talk the way I do, uh, the way my <laughs> lips move to allow me to form these words. There are so many freaking things that are going right. It's only when I lose track of all the things that are going so freaking right all around me that I start getting caught up in all this, these BS stories about what it's going to mean now that I'm not with this person or what it's going to mean if I run out of money or all these crap things that just take away our ability to live our life and take away our ability to be creative to solve the things that may actually be challenges in our life as well. Yes. And um, did I see you around the time where I almost busted my eardrum and um, like on a plane from Paris to LA, nearly busted my eardrum? Yeah. And I couldn't hear and I had to go to a conference that would not had to, I wanted to, but I was literally deaf in one ear, which by the way, is the weirdest thing because then your balance is off and you're like, you think people are close and they're far and you're like bumping into like columns. So I just looked, I looked crazy. I looked definitely crazy. Actually, you were, you were drunk. You yeah. Were drunk. I, not only that, but my, I got, I had dental surgery on a tooth. So I had like a swollen cheek and I couldn't hear in the opposite side ear. And I just remember thinking to myself and, and people would come up to me and introduce themselves. Hi, I'm so-and-so. And I'd be like, what? I'm actually, I'd yell at them, you know, cause I was so deaf. And the thing was, it made me realize what you're talking about here is wow. Your body is so sensitive. It is so, there's so much required to make everything work. And for me to live without one of my fundamental senses for at least a month, I didn't have good hearing. And what, which, you know, note to self, never get in an airplane with a really bad cold, or you might blow your eardrum. Didn't realize that, which everybody, after I did it, everybody's like, what? You didn't know that? I'm like, well, now I do, but (laughs) yeah, no, please, Jason, it's the worst. So, but what I got to thinking about this was, wow, you take away like one fundamental sense and your whole world feels different. It felt like I had a veil between me and everybody else. Mm. And I just remember thinking, gosh, there are so many forces at play to make my body work. Or, you know, when you feel like you have the stomach flu and you're laying in bed and you're like, God, I can't imagine jogging down the street. And it's like, gosh, there's so many pieces like you're talking about that are working in our favor. How do we get so, um, for lack of a better term, delusional that when one little thing, especially something like my side view mirror falling off my car, something that doesn't even have to do with my body and my senses is going to throw us off for the rest of the day. We trade our days in, our happiness in, our sanity in for these little moments where things can be fixed anyway. It just blows my mind. Um, 
I want to ask you, you know, what is one fear that you still are deeply working with uh, and how are you being with it? Hmm. That's really good. I think the, I think one of the biggest fears for me, we actually talked about this was kind of releasing control over parts of my business that I, that I feel like the, the number one reason I've been so successful or one of the number one reasons I've been so successful in my business so far is because of the amount I, I pour myself into what I do yeah. and, and knowing that in order to scale to a place where I can impact the number of people I really want to impact, I'm going to have to, and I, I'm going to have to choose to, I'm going to want to choose to pulling back and allowing other people in to help me to spread that impact. And that's still something that I'm not totally comfortable with. I've, I've now hired my first uh, three people and, and I'm, I'm doing what I can to, you know, create this space for them to do what they do best. But I think that's still a fear for me. Like, am I really going to have the same impact uh, that I've been having if I'm not the person doing every single part of what it is I do? Mm-hmm. And being with that is, and being with that is, is really a matter of there, there's, there's an inner part of that and there's an outer part of that. So the inner part of that is to take my own, you know, my own medicine and, and just ask myself, like, you know, is it possible that you're taking any of this a little too seriously, uh, that you're making it too significant to ask myself, can I truly be of service if I'm so focused on me having to be the person that's of service, right? Cause that goes back to ego again, that it has to be me. Uh, and so it's, it's questioning myself in those ways, but then there's also the outer side and, and, and there's this, you know, there's a great thing about doing the inner work and, and shifting your mindset and doing all these things. But at the end of the day, you know, there's another distinction that, that Steve taught me about was, was trusting versus testing. Mm, right. This one. So yes. Yeah. So it's one thing to like trust that, okay, if I show up this way, things will get better. And I trust that if I, you know, really uh, trust myself, then I'll be more open and, and more expansive. And then it's like, well, great. And let's also test that in the real world. So it's, let's give the people on your team projects, let's back off and, and, and agree to myself to be an integrity with myself to say, I'm not going to intervene unless they ask me for help. Like, you know, how can I really be in the world to, to test my theory, to see if there's any validity, uh, to that, that it's difficult or validity that it's actually really easy. So, so those, that's the work I'm doing is being with it on the inner side of, of doing more self-trusting and other trusting, and then doing the work on the outside of actually testing to see what's, what's really true about the, uh, the beliefs that I hold. I love that. And I also think there, I don't know when you said testing versus trusting, I thought of more of an experimental mindset, like instead of just hoping, like, um, experimenting, I don't know if this is a totally different distinction or it's really the same, but I have found one of the biggest tools I've learned in my personal development life is that instead of being so, and it's not about not being committed, but instead of telling yourself, this is the way it's going to go, why not start to have a little bit more of an experimental mindset in our lives? So let's say you, cause so many people often get stuck with commitments. Should I do this? Should I do that? Why don't you experience, why don't you try this one on as a five day experiment? Why don't you try that one on mm-hmm. as a five day experiment versus hoping that something is going to work and just fully diving in? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think, I think you nailed that too, because that, that goes back to that whole all or nothing thinking. And and we think that, you know, there's actually, there's a whole module, uh, in, in playful prosperity where one of the things we talk about is how to always make the right decision. And, and, and the spoiler alert for how to always make the right decision is that you just choose something and then you make it the right decision. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not something you can, you can't do a pro and con list forever. And, and, you know, that 
but, but this pro and con list is different. I mean, I got my favorite notebook and my favorite coffee and I've done my favorite meditation. So this pro and con list is going to tell me for sure with certainty, which path I should take. No, it doesn't work that way. Like you can't, you can't intellectualize uh, transformation. You can't intellectualize choosing and, and, and making progress. It's just not something that happens on paper. All of the greatest advances in science and medicine and technology, they actually weren't done uh, on paper. They were done by taking the math that was on the paper and testing the math in the world. So I want to go as quickly as possible from the paper to actually testing out in the world. So yes, exactly what you said, choose something, right? And then take everything you can from that thing, right? When people tell me that they do a course or they go to a conference or they do whatever, and they didn't learn anything, I kind of laugh because you could drop me at a janitor's convention and I will learn something that I can use in my life and my business. Yes, totally. You know, that is so my favorite thing because Often I, I feel like life, you know, and I've said it before and you've probably said this life is our coach and Mm -hmm. it is the ultimate coach. And it's, you know, sometimes when there were times where I couldn't afford a coach, which is a whole different mindset, you know, back when I was Mm -hmm. started out and I would tell myself, well, I guess life is just going to be my coach. And I think if you look for lessons, you'll find them and it doesn't have to be negative lessons. They can be um, friendly lessons, things that you notice all around you. I remember traveling the world for a while and you don't have to travel to find these. You could go to your local coffee shop, but I would walk into a coffee shop and I would tell myself, I want to learn something from the people here. And inevitably I was, you know, creeping and I would eavesdrop next to the people next to me. And I would learn so much. One time there was, I was in Hong Kong and I heard a Burberry recruiter interviewing a candidate and I heard a couple of mistakes that the candidate made and it cost her the job. And I could hear in the recruiter's tone that that was kind of the end of the interview. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just learned by listening to their dynamics. Um, you know, even when you're um, in anywhere you go, I think there's lessons available. So how do you use life? How do you use life? Mm-hmm. I love that. That's and, and that's one of my questions. Like, I, you know, this is a question I ask myself and my clients all the time. Um, how, how, do, how do I intend to use my life today? Right. And, 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 and the, the two really powerful words in there are, are intend and use. Right. How do I intend purposefully? How do I intend to use my life today? Mm-hmm. And so it, it's exactly that. And, and so one of the things that I will do, especially if I'm trying to figure out, you know, uh, making a choice on a project or, or doing something that's really scary is I will decide beforehand. And, and, and I love what you, you said, actually, just a second ago, you said it earlier and, and you used the phrase again just now when you were listening to the interviewer and the recruiter, you said and what I got from that was and, and you took your lessons focusing on the language of what what I got from that or what I will get from this is such a powerful way to go into something. And, and so I will, before I make a big decision on something, especially if it's something that scares me and it's uncertain and I'm not sure about the outcome and, and, and I'm, I have all the seriousness going on, is that I'll just ask myself, I'll say, what are the three things that I commit to getting from this thing, no matter what the outcome is, mm-hmm. right? No matter what, because then I, I win automatically. The thing can fail miserably, but I'm committing to getting these three outcomes no matter what. And so I win. And if the thing works out favorably instead, well, then that's, that's icing on the cake. So when I went into my first entrepreneurial endeavor and started this executive transportation company, I had no idea if it was going to work. And ultimately it failed. Ultimately I, you know, I lost a bunch of money and the business folded and I got so much from that experience. But before I went into the experience, I said, okay, what are 
the three things that I will guarantee to myself that are not within the realm of anybody else, that I don't need to count on somebody else for this outcome. It's completely in my hands and within my control. What are the three things that I can guarantee myself I will get from this experience? And I wrote those down. And one was, I'm going to get really comfortable uh, pitching to investors. I'm going to get uh, really comfortable leading people in this kind of environment. I had never, that was my first entrepreneurial endeavor. So I had led in a corporate environment, but never led in this way. Um, and number three, I was going to get really, really secure in going to networking events because before then I had really hated going to networking events. Mm -hmm. And so if, if I can guarantee that those three things are going to be outcomes for me before I even start, then then I'm that I'm set that I'm set up to win and everything else is just a bonus. Mm, so good. I want to ask you what is because we've talked about a lot of different nuggets and gems in here. Um, but what is the best piece of advice looking back that you've ever gotten? <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean, a, a lot of it is just this whole thing around not taking life so seriously. I mean, one of my favorite books is, uh, it's a book by Richard Carlson called don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Uh, and, and that's a Wayne Dyer quote that Richard yeah. Carlson made into a book. Mm -hmm. Uh, but how, how great is that? Don't sweat so the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Like yeah, I, by the way, really, it is all small yeah. stuff. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, if I really, if I really lived into that moment by moment, like if I could tattoo that on my, on my arm and just like have an alarm, I guess I don't need to tattoo it. I could just make an alarm on my phone. I don't know why I got super permanent all of a sudden. Uh, but, but if I can remember <laughs> that, if I can remember that moment by moment, don't sweat the small stuff and it's all small stuff. Um, I don't think there's anything else that I would need, uh, to worry about for the rest of my life. But, but as kind of a side, a sidebar to that, again, I'm bringing up Steve again. Steve is just the most, one of the most amazing men in the world and had such a, a huge impact in my life, Steve Chandler. I remember one time I wrote him an email about a year or so ago. And, uh, and I just, I just wrote this in, Entirely, it was a total prisoner email, right? I mean, it was just like, you know, I'm worried about this and I'm worried about this. And what if this doesn't work out? And I'm not sure about this. And it was just this whole long thing that I wrote to him. And I waited for his response and I waited and waited and waited. And probably like 40 minutes later, I got an email back from him. And this is what he said in the email, Ashley. I, I cannot tell you this has this changed my life and 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 it embodies everything that I, I really hope that people get out of this interview and out of any of the work that I do in the world. He wrote back to me and he said, so much compassion for what you're putting yourself through right now. <laughs> Gotta love Steve Chandler. That's amazing. Done. Done. And, and he, and he was, and I thought he was ridiculing me, which actually works for me because he and I have that kind of relationship where he can make fun of me and it actually snaps me out of my stuff. And, and I think that if we can laugh at and ridicule our fears, then they let go of us and we don't have to let go of them. Um, but he actually says he wasn't trying to ridicule me. He really meant it truly sincerely. And, and it hit me at such a deep level yeah. that anytime I can remember that the only source of my stress and seriousness and struggle is what I'm putting on myself, that it is entirely self-imposed. And I get that some people listen to this are going to say, no, you don't understand. My boss wants this. My kid wants this. My spouse wants this. My whatever wants this. I get that it looks that way. It's, it's, it, yes, it's a mirage and yes, it's a very real looking mirage, but, but the more we can take a look at that and really challenge that and see that at the end of the day, if you were put under anesthesia right now, this is a, a great example from a dear friend of mine, Amir Karkuti, who's also a coach. He always says this. If you're trying to see if what you believe about the outside world is true, put yourself under anesthesia for an hour. And if you still worry about those things, then they're true. But you won't. You won't because when you're under anesthesia, those things don't exist because your thoughts about them don't exist. So the more that we can realize that anything we're feeling is truly self-imposed, that alone can make us feel so much lighter. 
that alone can help us to see, oh, that's great. I'm creating this experience. I'm such a creative person that I've created these stories. I wonder what other stories I can create that actually make me feel empowered. Well, that is the question. Incredible. And let's just say, you know, somebody's listening to this because I'm sure if any of you who are listening, you know, you're like me, you're in it right now. You're in it in this moment. You're thinking to yourself, God, like I'm not having fun. I'm stressed. And, you know, in the words of Steve Chandler, we have a lot of compassion for what they're putting themselves through right now. Mm-hmm. What, what can they, what can they consider just one quick actionable to just move forward in a positive direction? Yeah, I think it's, I think it really comes down to something really simple and, and it's, it's kind of my, my, my guiding mantra for life now that, that I actually may tattoo on my wrist, to be honest. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about that first, Jason. Let's get together. Let's look at what you're doing. Let's slow down, but I support you. Thank you. Well, I mean, I already have thug life across my belly, so yeah, now I feel like it's it's time. It's time. Uh, so, so, and for anybody listening, no, I don't have a thug life tattoo. Uh, so, um, but the phrase, the phrase that really does it for me, um, is so what now what. Right. Mm. So what now? What is just so easy. So for anybody listening to this, if you are super stressed about something right now, the first thing I'd love you to say to yourself is so what? And and what I mean by so what is just like Ash's example of her side mirror. It wasn't apathy. So what it was. This really isn't probably that significant in the grand scheme of my life. So what? Yeah. Right. That That's what I mean by so what. So practice first the so what. Slow yourself down. Allow your snow globe to settle and just ask yourself, am I making this a little too significant? Is this really am I going to remember this five minutes, five weeks, five months, five years from now? And if not, cool, let's just agree that it's not that significant. And then now what? Given the conditions of the game that I'm playing in this moment, what would be ideal? What would I love to create? What am I being called to step into that is available to me at any moment that I'm not just using intentionally right now? Mm. And when you ask yourself that question, it could be, I just need 5% more courage. I need 5% more levity, 5% more playfulness, 5% less seriousness. That 5% solution moves us forward in such impactful and tremendous ways. It will entirely change your life. Mm. So when you're stressed out and you're overwhelmed, so what now what, and focus on what can I do 5% more of? How can I be 5% more of the person I need to be in this moment so that whatever I feel like is a problem is no longer problematic. I love it. I love it. And my final question for you is what question should I be asking you that I'm not asking you? <laughs> oh, goodness. You're good at this. Okay. Really? You are so good. I just, Dang. I freaking love talking to you. Well, I forgot, I forgot we were doing the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. This is just kind of <laughs> both of us having a meltdown, but with some nuggets. <laughs> That's amazing. I love it. Um, okay. So the question that you should be asking me is, um, I would say, you know what? I would say the question you should be asking me is what are you here for? Yes. I am here to leave people with 5% more joy than I found them in any interaction, no matter how that interaction happens, whether it's live, in person, virtual, a book, whatever. I want people to be 5% more joyful, 5% more free from concern after they have an encounter with me than they were before. Mm. And and that is my that is my gauge for for my my success and my legacy on this planet. Well, I'm feeling about 72% happier right now, so you've far exceeded your <laughs> goal. I have to say what you're doing right here makes me think to ask everybody who's listening, like what are you here for? Like what do you what experience do you want to bring to the people around you because Jason's been telling me this exact snippet for a long time and he does it. He lives by it. 
So what do you live by? What do you want to achieve in your interactions? Um, for me, I, so you're here to bring more joy, Jason, and I've never vocalized this completely, but I think what I'm here to do is move people. I want to move you. I just want, I want to say something that makes people feel, I want to help them relax into who they are. And I think each of us have a different kind of intention in our conversations. And probably most people listening haven't really thought, and you can bring this everywhere in your life, in your work, in your friendships. So what are you here for? Thank you so much, Jason. You are the entire thing. You are everything. You, you are kidding. everything. You give me life. You... And, and I want to say real quick though, what you said about moving people, you absolutely moved me. And, and oh. something that I, I want to just, I want to share with you is that I think that's also, and I think this could be helpful for people listening too, that whatever it is you, you believe you're here for, like what I said about joy and, and, and what Ashley said about moving people is that is this, that's much less what you do. And it's much more who you are yeah. and it's, it's how you're showing up. And so Ashley, you move me and it's not, it, it is in part because of what you do and the conversations we have are amazing. And I learn so much every time I'm with you, but you show up like the first time I walked in the coffee shop to meet you and you're sitting there, it's like, there's something about you where you show up with that intention before you even open your mouth. Oh, so, so for you. people listening to this, like send, send what you are here to do out in the world, out in front of you before you even open your mouth, oh, embody that. that energy when you walk into the world. And then when you open your mouth, all you're doing is solidifying what you're here to do. Oh my gosh. I like can't even get off this podcast with you because I have one more thing now. Like one more thing, one more thing. Do it, but do it. you know what it is? It's that a lot of people, um, I think that they forget what motivates them. And this is also really huge in considering what you are here to make people feel and what your intention is in your conversation. So I know a guy who he's motivated by mastery and he wants to educate people because that's just his way of projecting it onto other people of like, this is what motivates him. And if he could educate somebody else on what he's masterful at and elevate them through education, that's what he's into. For me, I'm not motivated by mastery. I'm motivated by connection. So for me, can I connect and move someone? So I think if you're really considering as a listener, what your intention is in your conversations with people, ask yourself, well, what motivates you? What are you about? What gets you moving in your life? For me, I just want to feel connected to people. And through that, moving people is what I really want to do and really inspires me. Um, gosh, Jason, we just literally could sit here all day, every day. No, I feel like we should just no. abandon all life and go to an island <laughs> and have a meltdown and, and have an ascension about this too. <laughs> I'm so down. Let's do it. Oh gosh. I need to see you soon. Thank you so much for such a good interview. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Ash. Thank you for the work you're doing in the world. You're incredible. Yeah, so are you. And everybody, again, if you want to figure out what Jason is up to, where he is, all you need to do is go to thejasongoldberg.com, G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G, thejasongoldberg.com, and playfulprosperity.com. His program is going to be launching uh, soon, and he does it uh, you know, quite rarely, so you want to pay attention to when he has those things opening up and follow him. He's incredible. Obviously, I stalk him on text message and an email form. Thanks for having thanks for having me here with you. <laughs> Thank you, Ash. Love okay. you so much. Love you too. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into the U-Turn podcast. And thank you again so much for our sponsors. We are here because of you and to our listeners. Thank you for checking out our sponsors. We always pick people and brands that we trust and we believe in. And just for listening to the show, writing your reviews on the Apple app, and just being willing to make your own U-turns. We'll see you next week.
This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.